0: I'm Craig.
1: And I'm Todd.
0: I guess I'm your lead host today because (laughs) I chose this movie.
1: (laughs) You're the hostess with the mostest, baby.
0: Yeah. Okay, so seriously, we're going to have to stop uh, plugging Shudder until they start paying us. (laughs) But um, I I guess I'm going to do it again. You know, I was just uh, looking around on Shudder and I've really been impressed with their uh, original content and their exclusive content, and I don't know which one this falls under. I don't know if they produced this movie or if they just have the exclusive rights to it, but it's a movie that popped up just a couple weeks before Halloween called Scare Me. Uh, it's a 2020 film written and directed by a ga- guy named Josh Rubin who I don't know from anything else. Um, and During the Halloween season, my partner very graciously agrees to watch these kinds of movies with me, even though he's not a big fan. I put this one in because I thought that it was going to be an anthology film. I knew the basic premise was that a couple of strangers come together for reasons we'll explain in a second and tell each other scary stories and I thought oh well you know I've seen this kind of movie before it's kind of like the campfire you know kind of deal where it people sit around and tell stories, and then the stories play out for us in film form um, with actors and whatnot, and I was surprised to find that, in fact, it's not an anthology Mm. film. In fact, it really is just about a couple of people who sit around and tell each other scary stories (laughs) for an
1: evening. It's true to its premise.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is true to its premise, and I was surprised, and initially disappointed the first 15-20 minutes or so when the first story started and i realized that we weren't going to see these stories acted out cinematically i thought oh man uh this isn't what i was looking for but as it got more into the movie and certainly by the end of the movie i was like oh this is good (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I, I I had never heard of it before. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the people involved. It's just something that I stumbled on um, and watched without, you know, planning to do it for the podcast. But then um, you and I recorded last week or a couple weeks ago or whatever, and when we were done. We said, what are we going to do next? And I said, let's do this next. Uh, And you agreed. Thank you.
1: (laughs) All I do is try to make you happy, Craig.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) So that's my history with the movie. I I assume that you had never heard of it either, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't subscribe to Shudder, so uh, I don't see these Shudder originals that come up. And it's a brand new movie, too. I mean, this must have been... One of the last uh, COVID movies, <laughs> pre-COVID right. movies. It, it came out in January 24th, I think, at the Sundance Film Festival. So that had to have been like the last film festival that was in person this year, right? So mm-hmm. Shudder picked it up instantly. And uh the actor and actress in this, it's mainly two people. A third guy pops yeah. in for a little while. Um, but yeah, I also had not heard of Josh Rubin. I was impressed with his performance. Actually, I was impressed with all the performances in the movie. But I went back and looked him up and saw that he has actually done quite a bit of writing, some directing of shorts, and uh, a bit with like college humor, and the you know the stuff on online some online shorts. Mm-hmm. And I guess has done a ton of like commercials, directed a lot of commercials. So, as an actor, as a writer, and a director in this movie, I was pretty impressed. I I saw an interview with him online, and he was talking about how you know this was his first big foray out into feature film writing and directing, and uh, he knew that if he was going to do it, he just needed to do it himself instead of try to spend a lot of time convincing other people to give him a break on something. So he wrote the script himself in about a month back in 2018, and then, you know, refined it over a while as he was trying to get investors, and then purposely wrote it so that it would cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And that shows... I, I, actually, when I was watching the movie, I was thinking more like, this is a play.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, I, it could be a play. It could be a great play,
1: yeah. I, yeah, and I mean, I've seen plays like... I mean, there's, it would be a fantastic play because it all takes place in one location in a cabin. It's just mainly, like I said, two characters back and forth. Uh, it's, it's a talkie kind of film Mm -hmm. he had actually mentioned uh in his interviews these hitchcock movies like the rope which is just a a whole bunch of people in one location talking and kind of one long take and and the murder mystery all happens right there in that one place people chatting with each other not a lot of action happens in that film so like we just said it, it would be a great play because it's just like that I felt the same way as you, honestly. When I first started it up, I was like, this is interesting. It's going to be an anthology. And I kept waiting for the screen to fade into something else, and Mm -hmm, it never did. And then with the first story that they tell, there are some little bits in there visually where they do a little bit of, um, what would you call it, like visual poetic license where they show some shadows on the wall that are clearly in their characters' heads. Mm -hmm. And they do this less and less as the show, as the movie goes on. But I thought in the very beginning for them to add those little bits and pieces was a bit of a hook. And I thought, I also thought we'd see more of that. (laughs) And I thought maybe there'd be a point at which sort of like, you know, the real world kind of melds with what they're saying. And some of the things they're saying actually start happening in real life. And, or maybe we're going to question whether or not this is in their heads or, or, or supernatural but actually no there's none of that either (laughs) it really is just two characters telling stories and how apropos it's almost like what would you we we did the beach right Uh, was it called the beach Mm -hmm. house or the beach
0: beach house yeah
1: where it seemed like oh man this is a story for our times well this was a more positive note on when two people are stuck in a place (laughs) and looking for entertainment say quarantine or whatever then this is the kind of thing that we used to do, right? We didn't have screens and things around. We would actually just tell each other stories or you're out in the wilderness and and you're sitting around a campfire talking. So many movies use that as a framing device. This is definitely the first movie I saw that just takes it and stays true to that premise. It's It's not really a framing device. It is the movie. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. I love going to plays and... There's something about the structure of a play, maybe the limitations of a play. A good play needs to have very strong characters with really interesting things to say and personalities that really jump out at you to keep your interest in this thing that's all just taking place in front of you in a very small space and doesn't have the usually have all of the ability to have special effects and other elements really thrown in. So this movie does that really, really well. Um, I was very impressed. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, and I'm glad we're doing it today.
0: Well, and to some extent, that storytelling that you mentioned is sadly, not entirely, I I, I don't want to be too cynical, but it's kind of a lost art um, just because we're so inundated with Media from, from every angle of our lives, with our computers and our phones and our TVs and just everything, we have so much at our disposal. We just don't do this as much. And, and you know, the movie, it, it, it's not like it breaks from that, but it uses, <laughs> it, it's, it's so simple the electricity goes out and their computers <laughs> yeah. are dead and they have nothing to do and they both happen to be writers <laughs> you know like yeah. they they're they're storytellers that's that's what they do so when there's nothing else to occupy them they tell stories oh. you're right a good play does have to have compelling characters and a really good play also has to have good actors what i thought was so interesting about this movie is that first first of all the main guy Josh Rubin it starts out he's in an Uber on the way out to this secluded cabin and the Uber driver is hilarious (laughs) he's he's this woman I don't even know how to characterize her uh, A kind of portly tough guy kind of woman and she's asking him questions like oh so you're a writer and he's like yeah i'm i'm kind of a writer kind of director kind of actor which is clever because he (laughs) is you know this this guy is the writer director and actor of this movie and He's playing a writer, director, actor, a-, a fledgling one too, which he also is. And the driver won't shut up, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm kind of a writer too." Uh, <laughs> she's like, "I've got, I've got this one story. I, I really think James Cameron would really like it if he got his hands." On-. And she keeps saying James Cameron, which I think is so funny.
1: <laughs>
0: and and she's hilarious.
1: I mean, isn't this the kind of thing that you know that writers and directors have to deal with every single day of their lives everybody's like yes. oh i've got this great idea for a story and if i could just have the time to hash it out i know that steven spielberg would love it you know <laughs> and at the same time it's really interesting and there's more of it as the film goes on about how even here in the beginning in this car it's playing a bit on his insecurities yeah the, the whole like yeah he's he's a, he's saying that he's a writer director but he wants to be more than he feels like he's there he doesn't feel like he's arrived for sure right and that that insecurity of his gets set up right in the beginning with this car and and the best way to do it here is to put him against this woman who clearly is not going to ever be a writer as far as we can tell.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it's also, you know, I don't know if this is true in real life, but it's certainly a trope in movies and television. When somebody says they're a writer, all of a sudden everybody else is a writer too. You know, like, oh, I've got this great story. (laughs) But he gets to the cabin and he's just sitting there like he's, you know, trying to write. And his only idea that he writes down is, werewolves have guns get revenge like, <laughs> that's his whole idea werewolves with guns revenge
1: <laughs> and i i love this bit too in the cabin where again as a, as you know you and i both have throughout our lives had to sit down and try to write things yeah yeah facing that blank page is the worst and all he does is run around kind of walk around the cabin drink beer check his phone
0: does does stupid jack nicholson impressions for himself
1: yes
0: (laughs) but but he also does like he's just sitting at a chair and he starts and the music in the movie gets kind of spooky and then he starts doing a voice like he looks at the door to the basement and he does a voice like let me out <laughs> and it's actually funny because as the movie goes on we see that this guy actually is really kind of talented at manipulating his voice and his face um mm. that, that's one of the things that i liked about the movie and about him because at first I thought he was so lame and he plays that really well for the first half hour yeah, being really super lame right. but then later as he kind of gets into the storytelling and stuff he's far more dynamic and he actually isn't a bad storyteller at all once he gets into it And he also develops, like, he seems like such a sad sack kind of initially, but Mm. throughout the course of the movie, he really kind of develops an edge that you don't anticipate early on, Mm. but that is really effective later. I don't know. I just thought that he did a, a good job with character progression. The way he ends up is not the way that I pictured him in the beginning at all. But anyway, he's staying in some cabins, and he goes out for a morning jog where he meets this girl named Fanny. Fanny is played by an actress named Aya Cash. And before I had seen this movie, I had started watching a show on Amazon called The Boys. And it's about superheroes, but it's kind of dystopian in that the superheroes are all owned... By a corporation. And so it everything's corrupt. And like the superheroes put on this front that they're these great, amazing heroes or whatever, but really it's all about money, blah, 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 whatever. I could go on and on about that show because it's my new favorite show. And then oh. I saw this movie. <laughs> okay, this sorry, this story's getting convoluted. I saw this movie, and then In this movie, Aya Cash plays Fanny, a horror writer, and she's actually an established horror writer. She has had a very, very successful novel out that is, you know, critically acclaimed, optioned for a movie already. So, like, she's super established. The point is, this girl throughout the whole movie, Aya Cash, I f***ing loved her. In this movie, (laughs) I thought she was amazing.
1: Yeah. And
0: as it turns out, she is in the second season of The Boys, and she plays one of the superheroes. And I'm only three episodes into season two, but she's amazing in this. I am obsessed with this actress. I just (laughs) think she is fantastic. She's so good. (laughs) She's good. Now you talk about her.
1: (laughs) What more can I say? I'm going to feel like uh, i got to like <laughs> heap a bunch of praise on her. No, she was really good, and, uh, and she reminded me a little bit. Well, first of all, she seemed very real. She's got a little bit of this edge, but it's more of a humorous edge to her, I think. You can see, then, therefore, she probably has a few insecurities of her own. I thought, as an actress, she was great. In fact, a lot of the dialogue and coming out of her mouth seemed so quippy and cool and natural that... I had a suspicion that maybe there was a bit of improvisation going on here. And it seems like the kind of movie that would have a lot of improvisation because that's what they're doing in the movie. (laughs) It really is improvising these stories for each other. However, uh, Josh Rubin said, no, actually, there was not a lot. He said maybe 10, 12% of the movie was improvised. One of his favorite lines, which came out of her mouth, and he said most of what was improvised came out of her mouth. However, uh, they just didn't have the time for that he said uh, we we you know we just basically had to set it up and go and we didn't have the time and the money to spend a lot of time improvising scenes so and i liked her character even though at first i didn't there's some about her that turned me off a little bit like maybe she was a little too um what's the word i'm looking for craig
0: i don't know she's uh, i do like her but i could understand like if i knew her in real life i don't know
1: she, yeah
0: she's she's cynical, really sharp, sharp very cynical
1: and I like sharp people. I think people should be sharp and clever and cynicism isn't terrible, but maybe she's got a bit too much of a dose of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And, and she's a little bit condescending. Yes. But I, I, I it almost, it feels less like being condescending than it feels like just being a straight shooter. Like. Yeah. She just she just says what's on her mind, or, or
1: she she kind of ends up taking like a tough love approach with him, right? Like uh, she, at first, I th- I thought she wasn't really encouraging him in his aspect of telling the story, like you said, just a little more condescending. But after a while, I felt like no, I think maybe this is just her approach. She has this aloofness, um, and this aloof. That's uh, good, right? Yeah, a little bit of an aloofness, and then kind of a tough love approach. Like I'm going to tell you straight. Kind of jerky about it in order to bring out something better in you that maybe she kind of has seen in there all along or was looking for anyway. But
0: she's also just very cool about it. Like it yeah. doesn't come across as malicious or nasty. No. I, I don't know how to describe her. There's a the confidence. She's sharp. She's, yeah, she's very confident, it seems like, and, and just really sharp witted. And, and I, I believe that she, you know, she's smart and she is good at what she does. And though, like you said, she's not braggy about it. She's also not h- super humble about it either. Like, yeah. this is what I do and I'm good at it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> good for Well, her. so the. <laughs> The, they meet, and it's kind of a lukewarm meeting. He knows who she is. Of course, she doesn't know who he is because he's nobody. It's kind of a cool meeting. Like it kind of seems like he's kind of maybe trying to flirt with her just a little bit friendly flirting. Mm. and she's just not into it, like, okay, whatever, bye
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um, and so they they go their own merry ways, but then the power goes out, and she comes over because, you know, there's nothing to do and um, she, there are jump scares throughout like she scares him at the window it's funny, um, but she comes in and they're just kind of hanging out and she's like, I've got an idea, let's tell each other scary stories, and he's reluctant, she's like, no seriously, you're a writer you say you're a writer, let's do it, let's tell stories and <laughs> she says, you go first <laughs> and he's really reluctant and she's like, well what you know what are you working on and he's like well i'm kind of working on this werewolf story it's kind of like it's a it's a revenge story and she's like okay well what's the story and he's like well a werewolf kills a boy's parents and then he gets revenge and she's like okay so what's the story and he's like well that is the story and she said that's not the story that's an idea what's the story and i just love mm. that and she she forces it out of him she makes him tell the story and she keeps prompting him with things like details details come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's the backstory um and he starts telling the story and he starts out very um awkward timid's not the right word awkward yeah like very much questioning himself and it's evident that he really doesn't have much more of an idea besides werewolves with guns like that's it like he thinks that's good enough and she even says like hmm werewolves werewolves are tough you know like <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do we've all seen the werewolf story um, with his prompting or excuse me with her prompting he tells this story and it is kind of lame and it starts out kind of lame and it's all you know very typical a werewolf attacks this family and the dad gets attacked first and then the mom gets a gun out of a shoebox in a closet which the <laughs> <laughs> Fanny's totally calls like yeah obviously because there's always a gun in the shoebox in the closet <laughs> um, but as he gets into it it gets better and Like you said, the movie does cool things where they play with light and shadow. And so when he says something about I don't know, he says something about it being dark and a full moon and the light and the trees and and so we see like shadows of trees on the wall behind and then he starts creeping up the stairs and they do cool things with shadows and then he reaches his hand out and it acts like around the banister, just his hand and we see a werewolf hand mm-hmm. and she's really getting into it and she actually That is scary. And, like, (laughs) (laughs) she's getting into it, and he's getting into it, and it's
1: fun. And we're getting into it, too. I mean, I was. Right. I mean... Yeah, I definitely was, too. I was even... And and I knew, you know, that they're just telling a story, but I was kind of ready for a werewolf to jump out of the shadows. You know, that's how kind of... uh, uh, intense it was and you could kind of understand that feeling when when you get up in your imagination somebody's telling a story really really well and you're really engaged in it then you visually in your head start to see things and i thought that was really that was really displayed well on the screen and that tension to be able to actually experience some of that from just two people telling a story, I thought was pretty masterful. And I think, like you said, they used the visual, but also they use quite a bit of sound, uh-huh. uh, the sound design in the movie. Just very subtle things in there. Of course, you know, some music here and there that would kind of score up. But also just you know in the quiet moments, little sounds of, of a of a of a dog panting or or something like that. You know he cocks the gun. He's got a you know a, an air gun in his hand. Right? There's no gun. Right. But right. he pulls his hand back like he's cocking the gun, and we hear the cock. Those little touches also really really helped. I thought it was. It was really cool. You know, when you had said earlier that storytelling is a bit of a lost art, Mm -hmm. right? That we're just so inundated with media nowadays that it seems like most of what we do is just share our thoughts about the stories we've all seen yes like oh have you seen that movie oh yeah have you seen star oh yeah i love that episode oh wasn't that great you know it's like we're not telling stories to each other anymore we're not inventing them anyway we're just rehashing them just by reminding each other of the little bits and pieces of the story
0: exactly it it reminded me so much his storytelling r- reminded me of what we do here yeah. <laughs> like like retelling movies I loved it he's like and so and so the werewolf goes slash 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 and the mom's like ah so she's dead and then
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so true <laughs> we're so lame <laughs> we're so lame no wonder we don't get paid uh. for this uh- <laughs> <laughs> But but in their storytelling, right, they're doing this. Like she'll be like, oh, just like Jamie Lee Curtis, right, in Halloween. Oh yeah, you know. And and they don't do too much of this, especially as it goes on and it seems like the storytelling's a little more confident and more original. In this very beginning, it's like he needs those hooks, right? To hook on to things that are familiar. And she's recognizing that and she's pointing it out. And it it does in some way feel like they're co- he's cobbling his story together based on little bits and pieces of things they're both already familiar with, right? Um, so it's very right. much like a level one story <laughs> that he's doing, and it's cute and it's just it's it's natural, it's normal. Like this is like how we do it. It seems like in many ways, uh, so.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and especially on the spot, you know, they're just making this up on the spot, or at least he is. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, his story ends up the, <laughs> the, the kid grows up and turns into like a bounty hunter or something. <laughs> and, he, and he, and he finds the werewolf. He knows who it is. And he's like, and he walks in and he, he raises his, or he's, he looks right at him and he says, are you Ben – Franklin he's like I'm really bad at making up names <laughs> and he's like and then it cuts to slow motion and he raises the gun and he cocks it boom, Q Huey Lewis credits boom
1: <laughs> Huey Lewis <laughs> uh, so I know
0: so silly so funny Oh God but then it's her turn and at first he's like okay your turn and she's like no I'm good like she's not gonna tell (laughs) a story but he finally gets her to and her story is called Grandpa and I have been walking around the house doing this story for weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <What>? She talks. <laughs> she,
0: she's like, okay, so there's this little girl. It's going to call her hmm, Cassie. I don't know, whatever. And she's like, but she has this grandpa and he's super creepy. And the other guy's like, oh, wait, no, if this is a touchy kid story, I'm not into it. And she's like, no, I'm not going to go there. Shut up. Um, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing. Like he tries to do the same things to her that she did to him, like asking for details. And she just always says, don't interrupt me. <laughs> she-
1: just (laughs) shuts him down he's like okay
0: (laughs) and and she's like and and cassie has this grandpa and he's like bulgarian or something vaguely slavic so he has this slavic (laughs) accent, (laughs) and she she tells the whole story and it's just it's a very simple story but it is very creepy about this creepy grandpa and he's like Cassie, come to Grandpa. Grandpa wants to talk to you. <laughs> I have been walking around doing that voice for
1: weeks. Ah, I see. You've I'm been sure.
0: Re- I'm sure that Alan is. I, I'm. I'm sure he's terribly amused. <laughs> come to Grandpa.
1: Is <laughs> this? This must have been the most rehearsal you've put in for a podcast lately. I'm really <laughs> impressed that you oh, brought that to the table. <laughs> Usually, I'm singing songs. <sighs>
0: It's such a simple story, but she is such an effective storyteller. Like, she's so good. Like, mm. I want this girl to sit and tell me stories all day. Yeah. Like, she's just fantastic. And the story is that, like, the grandpa's super creepy and weird or whatever. And so, the <laughs> eventually, the uh, granddaughter is like... I'm gonna get some medicine and poisonous food and the guy's like, Well, that's kinda dark and she's like, No, it's kid logic. It's like, um, well maybe he will just get very sick and, and then things will be better. I don't know, or maybe he will be dead and that's okay too. Like
1: <laughs> she's
0: she's just so quick. Like yeah. I'm sure it's the character, I'm sure it's writing, but this girl is just so good at acting it too. Like she's just so quick and Mm -hmm. and smart and her storytelling is so good and at one point like when the grandpa's dying she's like and the drools he's got soup all over his face and she like i don't even know where it came from she gets a big old handful (laughs) of peanut butter and smears it on her face so she's laying on the couch with this peanut butter smeared all over her face talking like the grandpa (sighs) and then the grandpa dies and comes like sends his little Dog, dog back, back to haunter and it, like you said little things are going on like she'll say things like cue the spooky lightning and lightning will happen and then she'll say and the door opens slowly by itself and you see that happen behind them and th- it's not as though they're not taking notice of these things they do like they look at them like they look at the door like that's weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) as though these things are really happening as they're telling the story (sighs) but anyway she finishes her story it's hilarious
1: um then they order pizza and
0: that's when they they get into an art they don't really get into an argument she does take a lot of shots at him about being a privileged white guy And he kind of takes offense to that. And at some point after she tells her story, she's like, let's order a pizza. He gives her his phone and she calls and she orders the pizza. And then while she's still got the phone, he gets a text and she gets it because she's got the phone and she's like, who's Meredith? She says you're a monster. And he freaks out kind of on her, like it's aggressively angry. Yeah. And she's like, uh, okay, dude, I'm going to take a walk. Mm-hmm. So she does. I mean, she just goes outside for a little bit and she's got this idea notebook and she's writing in it. And they make up, you know, he goes out and, and they share like a CBD vape or whatever. And he's like, well, she's my ex and she got a restraining order against me. Like and she's he, like, he what? He kind of explains it away. He, he, but, but, you know, it, it, it just kind of se- seems like bad relationship ending and he's edgy about it but well not really a big deal in the moment
1: it's true but also i don't know for me it felt like a bigger deal because uh in the moment because i I, it brought me back to really where we are and what their situation is and maybe just because i knew this is a quote-unquote horror comedy i was waiting for a twist to come or something but they're still two strangers they really don't know each other yeah and she being the female in the situation, although she does seem like a woman that can very much hold her own, still has put herself in a position of vulnerability by coming to this guy's cabin and agreeing to be there with him. And she doesn't know anything about his background, but she's famous. <laughs> so like the likelihood that she's gonna have this dark side to her and flip out or something like that is is pretty, pretty low. And he's fanboying enough on her uh, you know, it's, it's just um, it, it, it reminded me that we don't know enough about him yet. And so when he tells this story about how not only did he and his wife have this bad breakup, but he had this mental breakdown and that he had threatened to kill her. Yeah, She's a little taken aback by it briefly. He's like, oh, really? And you can visibly see a change in her face. And like you said, he kind of explains it away like, well, you know, like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. You know, it's just the sorts of things we shout at each other when we are fighting. Right. But duly noted, you know, by me, (laughs) by her. I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And so it did for me at least a little bit up the interest. Once you learn a little bit more about his background and find out that he's a little more complicated than just this lonely, single, sad sack trying to be a writer... He's got a little bit of an edge to him. We start to see a little peak of that here. And, uh, and that, I thought, was a powerful moment.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. But I don't know. Maybe like her in the moment, everything else about him has seemed so non-threatening. Like, he just right. seems... Frankly, he comes across as being pretty weak. You know? Like, she mm. is a dominant force. And he is not... Um, or at least it seems that way. It's
1: easy to write off is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And, and I even believe him. You know, I even believe him when he says, Oh, you know, it's when you're fighting and you're really upset, you say things like that, like, I'm going to kill you. Like, I don't know. I don't recall ever having said that, but I have had, I've said horrible, hateful things that I didn't mean. Right. That taken out of context you know, could be threatening, I suppose. <laughs> it, it came across, you know, I believed him. You know, I just, yeah. I, I believed him. He went through a bad breakup and it was ugly. And that happens. I, I didn't think, oh, he's scary. You know what I
1: mean? I, I didn't either, but I, I, I consciously wanted to believe him because of all the other things you said. I'm like, oh, okay. I, all right. I'm just going to write that off too. Like she's writing it off. Um, but you know, once again, it just really illuminates that, that fact that, They still don't really know each other that well, and that they're putting a lot of trust in each other to be there.
0: Well, and the fact that we're talking about it so much, I'm sure, signals to our (laughs) listeners that it's significant later, and it is. Um, But It seems like I put more significance
1: on it in the moment than you did.
0: Yeah, I I think so. But anyway, okay, so they get back to storytelling, and they actually tell a story together. Um, They make up a story together about this troll, because (laughs) he does... (laughs) <laughs> he, he does a Gollum impersonation, basically. It's great, um,
1: though. It's so good. It is.
0: Oh, it's good. He's really good. <laughs> and he is actually very good at doing voices and manipulating his face. He can do really interesting, fun things with his face. Like, he can cross his eyes funny, and he can really kind of grotesquely <laughs> manipulate his face. Um, he's good at it, which is surprising because he seems so lame initially. Mm. But when he actually gets into it, he's good at it.
1: You're right. And and also this story gave him a chance, I think, just to do more interesting things with a camera. Like, like again, when you're in this little room, you've got to keep the cinematography engaging and interesting as well, or else, or else it looks like you're just watching a stage play. And it was neat how it got us down on his level. We're kind of looking up at the troll from the ground, and he seemed a little more sinister with his facial expressions. They used the light, I think, from the fireplace to very good effect. It's it's oh, the yeah. only light source in the room, but boy, when they need to make somebody look spooky, you make sure that there's some shadows being cast up on his face from that light. And, and uh, it was good. It was really good. This is a story, like you said, that they're just, they're basically improvising together. Uh-huh. And it's, it it's it, of course it feels like an improvised story because it's about a troll that lives in the behind the walls of an edible arrangements shop.
0: <laughs> it's hilarious because that's his only idea. His only idea is I am a troll. It's like okay, well, but there's got to be something interesting. Like he has to live somewhere interesting. Like maybe in the vents of like I don't know, like an edible arrangements. Shop.
1: <laughs> and they just like an act, just like an improvisation game. They just. Have to go with it.
0: (laughs) And it's so funny. Like, oh God, I can't remember the lines, but they like answer the phone, hello, edible arrangements. (laughs) We have a troll that lives in the walls. Like, oh God, it's so funny.
1: By the way, In that interview, you know, the interviewer had asked him what his inspirations were for the movie. Was there anything in particular he was drawing from? And he said kind of spiritual inspiration more than anything. It was uh, the number one was Cat's Eye from Stephen King. Oh yeah, He said that movie really had an impact on him as a kid. It was an anthology. He really liked that aspect of it. And he said, and if you really look at the movie, you'll see I've got a troll in there. <laughs> I've got kind of a weird old man. He said uh, a little bits and pieces of Cat's Eye did... Thematically and spiritually made it made it into this movie, so I thought that was kind of funny.
0: It's fun, yeah. It it is, and you know like <laughs> they come up with um, kill your boss and then kiss me, and you will live for three hundred years. <laughs> 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 just the, just the most contrived, ridiculous things, and then she's describing because she, because she plays the sweet little innocent girl who has to kill her boss, and she's like and she goes and finds the boss and he's like what are you doing here and it's like oh I don't know I was just looking for you and he starts to like come on on to her and and she she's just doing all this she's just telling a story but it's so good in her voice and her facial expressions and she's like and he makes his move on her and he smells like a dirty diaper and the guy's like ew and she's like uh yes, yeah, what does she say? Uh <laughs> yeah, to... no shit. Ooh, we're trying to empathize with her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like she's giving a, a master class in storytelling for this guy. <laughs> yeah, and they do great
0: things with the camera because at the end of the story, she kills her boss, but then somebody else witnesses it, so they have to kill her too. And <laughs> so they're and and then he, as the troll, kind of down hunches down is chasing her around and she's screaming and running like she's in peril and it's hilarious and they're just running across frame like Mm. I love that like you just see him chasing her across the frame and then chasing back and then back again and then the last time you see he's dragging her by the feet and she's like pounding on the ground (laughs) and then they just end up on the ground together laughing hysterically and they almost kiss and I thought that they were going to but like it's part of the story but it's that like cute thing where like Mm. well now in the story it's time for them to kiss oh yeah I guess it is and they kind of start to lean in to kiss a little bit but we see somebody very scarily open the door and sneak up behind them and then the person says something and they both scream and jump up and it's the pizza guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's, who's played by, uh, Chris Redd, who is an SNL alum. Um, and he's very funny and he gives them the pizza and they pay him or whatever. And then he says something like, I guess it's a good thing I'm not a serial killer. And he kind of does his own little 30 second improv story yes. and i guess that prompts her to invite him to stay which he does he stays like for a couple hours too long for pizza um, hanging out with man. them and telling stories <laughs> oh yeah when he finally leaves when he finally leaves he's like oh shit i gotta go i've got a hawaiian that was supposed to be somewhere two hours ago <laughs> <laughs> I didn't anticipate this part. I didn't anticipate a third person coming oh, in. Me neither. And when yeah. he arrived, when he arrived, I was a little disappointed because I was so digging their dynamic mm. that I felt like introducing a third person would kind of mess with that. But as it turns out, this guy is actually really funny too. And it turns out he doesn't know who she is until Fred tells him, but then He, 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 as it turns out, he does know who she is and he's a huge fan. And so he's starstruck. And so he hangs out and (laughs) (laughs) get drunk. And then she's like, so anybody want to do some Coke? (laughs) And And Fred has never done Coke before, which they are both blown away by. They can't believe it. They're like, oh my God, you have to do it. You have to do it. He's like, no, I've never done it. And I'm sure you wouldn't like me on Coke. Mm. Which again, just a little bit of f- like foreboding, like hmm. <laughs> mm, why would <laughs> you, know, you like, say that? Why? Yeah. Right. Exactly. But he does it anyway, and so then they're they're all coked out of their minds, and he, Fred, has been trying to get Fanny to tell the story of her novel the whole night, and she wouldn't do it. But finally, with Carlo's help, they talk her into doing it, and she and Carlo act out the events of her book, which is like a vampire book, I think. But I also thought this was clever because like him, I had been wanting to know what her amazing book was all about. (laughs) And then when they finally give it to us, they really don't give it to us at all because he's just, he is so coked out and they are watching them. That He's really (laughs) just, yeah, that he's just kind of sweating and, and so we only get very small snippets of it and it's incoherent i have no idea what the book is really about i mean when they're done she says that it's really like a feminist manifesto about men having mommy complexes or something like that yeah. um but i wasn't i wasn't mad at them for doing the doing it the way they did i thought that it was actually kind of clever to still conceal from us what this amazing book was all about.
1: Well, apparently they actually filmed a 12-minute scene where you got to see the entire book. Oh, wow. Um, and later in the editing room, he decided to cut that down. And, and again, to great effect, I completely agree with you. We really didn't need to... We, I mean... This keeps us from having to pass judgment on her, right? <laughs> and her novel and her success and all that stuff. I'm sure it was really, really funny and interesting the way that they shot it. But like you said, it's so much better for us to just not know for sure what all that was. Because, you know, the 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 theme of the movie, you know, and, and what we're getting is these stories that they're making up and telling each other. And this would be more rehashing of something that's already out there mm-hmm. so it i think it was a better choice for them to cut that out like you said and the device that they were all kind of coked out on it so it was a little incoherent anyway makes perfect sense
0: it's still fun to watch it was because it's yeah oh, it's hilarious shot. it's it's madcap the way yeah. that it's shot
1: uh-huh
0: which i assume is meant to mimic the way that they were experiencing it experiencing it on coke I've never done coke no, <laughs> I neither. have no interest in it <laughs> so I don't know what that's like but visually I felt like I kind of like I get it you know everything was frantic and crazy whatever
1: well but it's interesting his reaction to it he's just like I don't get it and he's more or less nonplussed and she's very apologetic like for once she's kind of put on the defensive, being the one being judged here uh-huh. And she's like, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to act out a whole novel here right in front of you. You know, we're kind of, we have limitations and things like that. And he's like, no, I just don't understand this theme, this whatever. And there, there's a little bit of tension there all of a sudden again, but it's, you know, it's flipped around. And I think that it's like he wants to cut her down a little bit because he feels like she's been flaunting her success a little bit all night long. Yeah, yeah. So he's jealous of her, he is and without question. He's jealous and, of her, and and you know, and here's this guy who came in from the outside. He's also a big fan. He's fawning over her, and then when he leaves, he you know he's like, oh, to her, like, can you sign my pizza box and and sign it, sign it to Fred, who we sat up and we told stories and we retold Venus and we did coke together. And uh, you're my <laughs> you're my best fan. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, see ya. Bye, Fred. And he wanders off. <laughs> so, yeah, Fred's Fred's pretty pissed, uh, getting pissed by this point.
0: Well, and he's talked about it, I feel like, at least a little bit, you know, how he said, you get to live your dream, and I, mm. you know, I'm just a nobody, blah, blah, blah. And she keeps saying to him... and it happens just very briefly a couple of times throughout and then it culminates at the end. But, you know, she, she just kind of says to him, you know what, here's an idea. How about you do something, Mm -hmm. you know, like quit bitching about it and do something. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't take that well. And, And I, I, get it. That's kind of something that's hard to hear from somebody, especially somebody who's younger than you, who's had a lot of success already. Um, but she's right, you know? Like yeah. He's just feeling sorry for himself, but he's not doing anything proactive. I mean, I guess he is. He came to this cabin to write, but all he's got is werewolves with guns. I don't know. Before Carlo leaves, they do a musical story, which is hilarious. Um, they're like, uh... <laughs> Fred says let's do something with music and then they're just like quick brainstorming yeah uh, a singer possessed by the devil it's like a star is born but satan and it'll be like American Idol except not because we won't want to have to pay the licensing fee so instead it'll be the big talent show live <laughs> and then Fred plays the part of the devil and he's all lit in red and <laughs> she's this she's this mild-mannered girl who's accepted this deal with the devil to win American Idol and like she's up there getting ready to perform her song and she's like don't fuck this up for me the devil <laughs> <laughs> And then she sings a song. Oh, my God. Oh, and it's so funny. Like, it sounds like this sweet ballad, but really the words are all, like, Satan-y. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like about how she's going to kill everybody. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. It's really, really funny. But then Carlo leaves. What
1: a great bit of variety, too, to throw in here again, to, to throw some yes. music in now. And we, I mean, each one of these stories has kind of a different quirk, a different tone. And again, it just makes this aspect of three people telling stories in here really interesting and engaging to watch visually.
0: Yeah. And then um and it, it is. It is so interesting visually because they do things with spotlights and mm. stage lights and like it really looks like you know, one of those kind of talent shows <laughs> as much as it can in a cabin. Mm-hmm. But they do cool stuff with the lighting. It, it it's cool. I like it. Um Carlo leaves. And then she says that she's going to leave. It's like 4 in the morning, and she says she's going to leave. And um, he's like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. I was having fun. And she's like, oh, it's cool, Fred. You know, like, we'll have <laughs> coffee tomorrow or whatever before you go off and do whatever you're going to do, whatever. And she wants to leave. And he's like, no, come on. Just one more story. And this is where it takes a turn that really, really caught me off guard. And – ultimately, I'm still not really sure Mm. of what was going on here. Me neither. I'm really not sure.
1: This thing that Craig mentioned a little bit earlier but has been kind of coming up here and there is that she has this notebook where she keeps all her ideas. And earlier in the movie, he had said, oh, that's like your million-dollar idea notebook. And she's like, yeah, it kind of is. And then he had seen her writing something in the notebook uh, while she was outside on the porch while they were taking a breather. And then it turns out, I guess, while she was in the bathroom, he got the notebook and he started reading through and he's found the last several pages where she has been writing ideas based on him. Just uh, mm-hmm. like writer, a big
0: loser, basically.
1: Yeah, painting him as a loser and all this stuff, and uh, and he gets very offended by that, and so he says, "Now we're going to do a new story." He starts out by saying, "You know, we haven't done a slasher type story yet," so that kind of hangs like a dark cloud. Like, where is he going with this?
0: Well, and it's yeah, it, I mean, it starts out too that he starts out with kind of his story about his previous relationship and how badly that had ended. Mm -hmm. And that comes across as sounding far more ominous than he had made it out to be before. Yes. Um. And, but then he says, but then he met this girl and he, he really liked her. And for the first time in a long time, he really started to feel a connection. Um. And he felt, you know, really good for the first time in a long time. But then he found out what she really thought about him. And, it just gets really dark really fast I mean they're literally just standing yeah. four feet away from each other just looking at each other face to face just standing in the dark Yeah, I, I mean it's not pitch black but in a dark fire lit cabin just standing there looking at each other and he's telling this story and it's very menacing and she at first doesn't react much at all um. and eventually she says fine I get it you saw my notebook can you just give me my notebook back and I'll just get out of here and he won't
1: yeah his key thing that he says is that like you said and he started to feel really good about himself and then he started to feel used and that was yes. This is the thing he feels like he's just being mined for material now, and maybe the whole reason that she's been telling all these stories and trying to have this this interesting time with him is just so that she can get material for a book or something in the future. Right then, um, she says, "Come on, like, what are you doing with that poker there?"
0: Which uh, which I didn't even notice that he was holding. I didn't it. And so that line, that line, kind of, it was it was actually really scary. Yeah. Like. What, Fred, what are you doing with that poker? Mm. And then the camera cuts to it and he's holding it at his side. And all of a sudden, everything is different. All of a sudden, I'm looking at him totally differently. I'm, I'm looking at him thinking, my God, this guy is unhinged. Mm. And I didn't, this whole time, I didn't know it. Like it just, it really threw me for a but loop. But he
1: does throw a little bit of doubt in there when he says, "Well, you you wanted me to scare you, right?" Mm-hmm. Because he feels like he's been unsuccessful at scaring her. And so, also in this moment, you're questioning, is he really unhinged or is he acting unhinged to accomplish finally what he's been trying to accomplish all night and get, you know, one up one up her basically and tell her a story that really really scares her. Oh, ironically, mining their relationship for that material <laughs> well so. right and,
0: and when he says something about her writing stuff down about him she says because i'm a writer dude we make observations of the world that's what we do mm-hmm. it all um, all this makes
1: perfect sense from both of their a and ends right i mean it, it's all yeah. very believable
0: and i don't remember he says something about stealing ideas or something and And she says, I'm a horror writer and I'm a lady. Everybody steals from me. Mm. Which I I thought was really smart in this context because I imagine that's true. You know, horror is not a genre that women thrive in. And I don't think it's because women are untalented. I just think that traditionally it's been a boys club. You know, we – of the hundreds of movies that we've reviewed, a handful – have been directed by women Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's it's terribly disproportionate so her her perspective is absolutely true she says you're just pissed off because you know you'll never be great
1: Mm.
0: which i i thought Mm. maybe not the smartest thing for her to say but i think that she's trying to conf she, what she's trying to do is confront him with the truth that the reason that he's not going anywhere is not anybody else's fault, but his own. Mm. And he can try to blame it on other people, but if, if, if you just don't have it, you just don't have it. But he proposes a chase. He says, I'll chase you. And if I don't catch you, I'll give you your notebook back and you can go on your merry way. But if I do catch you, basically I'll, I'll kill you. And yeah. so the chase ensues. She runs and she hides. Uh, he chases her. She hides under the bed and it kinda seems like he just doesn't look under the bed and kind of walks away. I mean, it's a small cabin. Where else is she going to go? I I assumed that he knew she was there and he did, you know, eventually she, she crawls out and he flips the lights on and he's still standing right there. And he says, this might be the creepiest story yet. And I thought of it. And then he starts chasing her again and they run towards the stairs and we don't see it, but we hear them fall down the stairs. Yeah. And, It's obvious that something has happened, but we don't know until they cut back to them. And what has happened, we just see at first her laying on her back, like propping herself up on her elbows, breathing heavily and kind of crying and looking at something. And then it cuts to him and he has impaled himself on the fireplace poker. Mm. And this is when he says, I was just kidding. Mm. I was just telling a story and I don't know if he's telling the truth or not Not. I have no idea (laughs) I don't know if he really was just telling a story or if he really was crazy and may have killed her I have no idea because he's pretty convincing when he says I was just kidding. I kind of believe it, but I'm not sure. It's
1: very ambiguous and I think it can more or less stay there. That's part of the, <laughs> the what makes the ending so genius, I think. I, I mean I really do think the ending of this movie is wonderful. Because I was wondering where in the world would they lead. And uh and yeah, that was interesting. So he's he's impaled on the poker and she's there and she's upset and he's just sputtering out and he asks her to do him a favor by finishing him off and she's like you know i can't do that And he's like no please finish me off so she goes over and she gets a log (laughs) and starts to approach him and he goes oh log good choice (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and she raises it in the air like she's gonna bring it down on his head or whatever and then she goes nope and just drops it and just walks out of the house Yep. <laughs> and uh yeah and then the woman for the driver it's like the it's like morning time the driver's there to pick him up and she stumbles around the house she's looking around well it looks like somebody had a really good time here last night mm-hmm. <laughs> picks up a piece of pizza cold pizza from the counter and is eating it i mean <laughs> she's funny uh, but anyway, she she goes around and doesn't even seem to to see him. What she sees is that notebook on the floor. Yep. She picks up the notebook, opens it, goes hmm, and then cut to credits. <laughs> and then yep. after a couple credits go up on the screen, we see kind of a mid credit scene where there's a bookshop, and it's dollies in closely on the window, and you see that <laughs> this woman has written. The book, Scare Me, and apparently is now a best-selling author based on this book of stuff that she found in The Notebook.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I didn't see that. (laughs) you didn't see that? No. You turned it off? I yeah I, I did well, no, actually, I thought there might be an in credit scene, so I cut to the end of the credits, oh. but there wasn't. I didn't watch them through, oh. so I didn't see the mid credits. oh scene. man,
1: if you that's funny It was hilarious if you missed it in twenty it was just in twenty seconds, which wraps it up quite neatly because of course the way the reason the that writer what was her name again Fanny wanted to get out of there was so she had nothing to do with his death and couldn't be associated with it so of course she didn't have time to go back for the notebook, but she's never going to admit. That her notebook was in there. So she can't do anything about this woman stealing her notebook of ideas. She's just got to kind of accept it. So uh, it was a clever ending in two ways, right? It's kind of cute and kind of funny, but also, like you said, very ambiguous. Um, I still don't know whether he was telling the truth or not, and that just makes that last story very delicious.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I... I... This movie surprised me. It really surprised me how much I ended up enjoying it. And I think it's cleverly written. Uh, I think that they did so well with limited resources. You know, a a very confined um, set piece but they did so many cool things with lighting and cinematography and and not even anything complicated it wasn't anything complex or complicated it was just clever and and a good use of of what they had available and i also just think i i was impressed especially i all the actors were good i mean uh chris red who was carlo he was good he was really funny i liked him but josh rubin and aya cash Carry this movie mm. and they, I just think they just, I, I just think they just do a great, great job. I think it's well acted. It's fast paced. It's funny. It's witty. I totally believe them in their characters. Yes. She's hilarious throughout. I thought that he had a really great character arc where he's I had a certain perception of him in the beginning and then by the end my perception of him had totally changed and I was actually kind of confused in a good way. Hmm. I just thought it was really super, super clever. Um And I was excited to share it with you because you know, we love horror and, and both of us are, are film are fans of horror films, but we are also both fans of horror literature we both read a lot of that stuff and a story about horror writers and a story where these horror writers are playing on and playing with conventions of horror and storytelling i just ate it up yeah i just oh man
1: i just love it hits on everything we love doesn't it it's kind of nice Mm -hmm. that way and it's an you know what as a movie if you're going to be an actor. I mean, this is an actor showcase movie. This is the kind of movie that not only if you want to get a leg up in writing and directing, but if you want to showcase your acting talents, you want to write a movie like this for yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, where you just get to see their range, uh, the different characters they play within the stories. They really carry the movie and they have to, or else the movie just wouldn't work. So ditto everything you said. I, I also really enjoyed this movie and all for the same reasons, but above and beyond everything else, the acting was just so damn good. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've got my eye on Aya Cash. She, I, I think she's going places. Um well-
1: Josh Rubin has a werewolf movie coming up, so I guess we'll see. (laughs) Nice! (laughs) With guns!
0: (laughs) Alright, well, thank you for listening to another episode if you enjoyed this episode. As always, we've got a great big huge back catalog that you can revisit or visit for the first time if you're new to us. Um, If you are new to us and you like us, share us with a friend. Um, You can also get in touch with us on Facebook or on our website. You can find the podcast anywhere you can find podcast stitcher Google play itunes all those places and we will be back again sometime soon with a another review for you but until then i'm craig and i'm todd with two guys in a chainsaw